after that, we're going to actually turn, we are going to turn to the Word of God, um, and they're going to read the Scripture for us. We're starting a series called The Road to Abundant Life, and it's a two-part series, and we're in the first part, and so when I asked them to do this, I probably didn't have as much prescience as I needed knowing of how emotional we would be, but you can need a sip of water? We're good. Here we go. This is the Word of God. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. First in Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Once you were dead, doomed forever, because of your many sins, you used to live just like the rest of the world, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passions and desires of our evil nature. We were born with an evil nature, and we were under God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, he loved us so very much that even while we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's special favor that you have been saved. And now, from God's word, my life verse... For 25 years, Galatians 2.20. I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me, so I may live my life in, his earth, in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Galatians 2.20. Thank you, brother. Yep, you can put it all right on the first pew. Thank you. All right, you can be seated. Thanks for respecting God's Word. So I want you to see a picture up here. Um, and uh, David, I'm going to move fairly quickly and maybe skip some things. And that's perfectly all right because the communion is so important for our consecration to God. Um, but I'm going to show you a picture up here. And maybe you've seen it somewhere else or on social media. And uh, my wife just used it last week. And it kind of reflected... Um, really the position that we're in, there's some very, very, very rich theology in this picture because the heart of man is all that man has to offer to God. Uh, we can dig dry cisterns. Uh, we can do everything that we want to try to do in our flesh and in ourselves, and none of that gives God any glory. In fact, you'll find out next week that Galatians 6, 8 says that if we sow the flesh, we reap the flesh of corruption. So if we work in and of ourselves and we work with me alone, um, then actually we're destructive and corruptive in the way that we live. And we have marriages and we have parenting and we have followership, but we have churches, we have Christian cultures that have sanctified me and called that Christianity and said our church attendance and our church service and all this, and we're doing it all in our flesh, when the truth of the matter is, is all we can do is give ourselves completely over and surrender to holy God. And he says there, it's all I want. I know that's a great, a really cool Jesus there. Um, man, he's tall. He, maybe he came from up here. Um, but anyway, uh, he says that's all that I want because that's all that God needs. That's all that God needs to do an abundant abundantly full life work in you and me. This is the road to abundant life. This is the theology that takes us there. Now, I've got a couple of hearts here. 
All right? And I know that there's ladies here that really, really love chocolate. So, so I'm going to give a heart away. And I had somebody smile at me over here really nicely. So she, she gets some chocolate. All right? Here you go. All right? How are you today? You good? All right, fantastic. And there's got to be somebody else that's willing to grin at me too that's, that'll take chocolate. Oh, yes. Mariana, you're willing um, to take... Here's my heart. There you go. You got it. All right. Now, here's an amazing thing. So I'm at uh, the Dollar General that has an entire Valentine's Day section, um, just like Walmart and all these other places. And um, I look at these things and I go, wow, you know, those hearts, that's a pretty good deal um, for those hearts. Um, And you can see on the back that it's a good deal. Uh, But then I turn the corner in the back, way away from everything. And here is this box of premium chocolates. All right, and I look on the back of the box and it gives the descriptions. They're the exact same descriptions of the chocolates that are in those two heart-shaped boxes. And, and yet, this box, it costs more than half less than the heart-shaped uh, boxes do, and it has six ounces more chocolates in it. And I came to realize, it's the heart-shaped box that sells. It is the heart-shaped box. When, and, and men, and don't be, don't be the, this cheesy men, please don't go to Dollar General and buy your wife a heart-shaped box, okay? Uh, do something a little bit more tender and sincere than that. But really, it's the heart-shaped box, all right? It's not the chocolates. It's the heart-shaped box because if you really wanted to, if your wife really loves chocolates and you ask her what does she want for Valentine's Day and she says chocolates, go and buy a rectangle box of chocolates. She can have more than twice as many chocolates for the same price. And then just take a crayon and draw a heart right on the fridge or something for her, okay? But it's the heart. We are enamored with the romance of having our hearts taken or or having a heart given to us. In fact, Hallmark has made billions over the last century with the thought of giving away your heart or here is my heart. And so, um, how, how, does, how does this theology happen? All right, well, here's how it happens. God takes us through death to get us to the life that he wants for us. We're born into sin, and we have hearts that do not even want to recognize God, obey God, or enjoy God. And we live with our backs turned to our creator, rejecting God. Even though we have inside of us the stamp of God, we're made in the image of God, Genesis 128, and we have eternity set in our hearts, Ecclesiastes 3.11. We have this sense of a lost glory. We have this sense of something, the way, the way that uh, there were glory towns in the 19th century in California during the gold rush, and now they're nothing but rubble. And God takes us from death to the life that he wants for us. And that was accentuated in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, which will come up on the screen now. And you were dead in the, tres- in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By God, you have been saved. All right? And so 
And that's a great picture of this big word called regeneration. And regeneration is a Greek word that was actually borrowed from the Latin that means cleansing or it means renewal. Uh, it can mean restoration, all right? And so I'm going to use another word. I'm going to just call it glorious reworking of God, the glorious recreation of God, where God takes us from dead to alive to him forever. With, once with sinful and wicked desires bent upon me, now with holy desire to please God. A complete work of God. Now, so let's make sure that we're pulling down all the great theology of this passage. Where does God begin with us? Let's take a look. Where does he begin with us? First of all, he begins with us dead. We're dead. We're dead in those transgressions. We're walking in a fallen world. We're following the prince of the power of the air. That's a reference to Satan and his control of the lies of this world. We're following the passions of our flesh. Our flesh takes us places that we don't want to go. And we're living as children of wrath. We are literally under the judgment of God. Now just insert Ephesians 2, 5 where it says this, even when we were dead in our trespasses, tre trespasses we, he made us alive together with Christ when it is by grace you have been saved. You see that? That at the very worst that we were, at the ugliest that we were, we were all right? And, and Danelle called it your mess this morning. At the worst that we could possibly be, we've been made alive together with Jesus Christ. That is not just a theology of offering, it's a theology of power. There is nothing you can do to stop Jesus from rescuing you and bringing you back to himself. There's nothing you in Christ can do, no matter what pattern of sin you are in right now, that God cannot break and bring you back to Jesus. And when we look at the Old Testament and the romance of the Old Testament, the romance of hope and the romance of promise that God kept bringing, especially through his servants Isaiah and Jeremiah, of the turning of Israel, and he promised them when they're, they're in exile, they've had their, their hometown, Jerusalem, the place of, of God's temple destroyed by the Babylonians. And, and they're being promised of an inward change of attitude toward God. There's an outward picture of sprinkling of clean water, of outer cleansing, an outward sign, an emblem to a pure heart that is coming for them. And Isaiah and Jeremiah, they drew attention to this reference in, in Jeremiah 31, 34, that there was going to be an inside work that's going to happen. No longer will a man say to his brother, know the Lord, for he will know them. There'll be an internal work that's happening. The Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possess, that they may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul so that you may live. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Here's what God does. He brings us back from foreign and dark and dead places. And he does that so that our hearts would be renewed to him so that we could love him more deeply and more completely, that we could be completely his. And so every time from Old Testament to New, we see God taking the initiative of his covenant love to us. The conviction takes root in us that human sin and depravity can be effectually eliminated only by the act of God himself, renewing and transforming the heart of man. 
And so take courage and hope this morning, church. Take courage and hope listening on the podcast. This is the loving and wholly committed to us God and his character that comes through Jesus Christ to us and says, I offer to you abundant life. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Lumina uh, describes this in his breakdown of the Greek. It was revealing God's purpose at his appointed time. Revealing God's purpose at his appointed time. So what was the purpose? The purpose was that God, through Jesus, would bring us back to life. And restore us by his grace. And thank God for that right now in your heart. If you're a follower of Jesus. Because all that was required of you to do was to permit that holy invasion of his grace into your heart. Insert Romans 10, 9, and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see, God removed that old heart that was set upon sin and set upon death, and he replaced it with a new heart that is set on living to please God. That is why Romans 6.11 says, count yourselves as dead to sin and alive to Jesus Christ. If you are a good theologian of the grace of God, you know you're different and you know you're forever changed. If you're a good theologian, you're not walking in shame and guilt and trying to make up for previous sins or even the ones you committed this morning as you argued in the car with your family on the way to church. You're living in the peace that comes, that passes all understanding of knowing that all of those sins have been taken away and have been forgiven. God removed that old heart, and by this and only by this, we're able to live the life that we've always known and that we should live. When Paul's writing to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he's saying there's this, been this ministry of death that has been brought about by the law because the law condemns all of us and it brings us actually to the point of death. But now there's this new ministry, this unveiling ministry in reference to the temple veil uh, concerning the presence and the power of God, the wholeness of his deity. And that unveiling has occurred so that we could now fully experience holy God and be in his presence, not, not dying, but living. Not being struck dead anymore as, as was the problem in the Old Testament if anyone were ever to see the face of God. But now to dwell with God. And Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17 goes further to explain it. He says, God wants Christ to dwell richly in your hearts. That is fantastic theology and it's hope. This is how the Spirit is able to generate our desires and actions as we live a surrendered faith to God. And the Spirit takes us from glory to glory, now making us more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And so, by the way, there is no way you're going to the next place that God wants you to be without the Holy Spirit. You're going to listen to that next week. Come next week to hear about life in Christ through the power of God's Holy Spirit. 
And I want you to understand that it's only a work of God and a work of, of God's Spirit. Um, when Heather and I went to Israel in January of last year, I got to visit the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And there's this one area where you wait in line to literally touch the rush, reach down through a hole uh, in the floor, and you touch the stones, probably somewhere near Christ was cleansed uh, for, his, uh, for his crucifixion. And so it's at the top of Golgotha. It's near the, the crucifixion. And a lot of people go there, and, and they chant to themselves. They sing songs. They pray. They, they reach down there, and they touch the stone. And they're, they're reaching in there, I guess, for some type of superstitious, supernatural experience. I touched the stones. I was this close to where Jesus was crucified. And I reached down there, and I touched that stone, and I want to tell you something. Nothing happened. I didn't become more like Jesus because I touched that stone. I didn't become a more loving person. I, I, I didn't become more empowered in any way. Let me tell you something. The only way you are changed is by God, through the power of his Holy Spirit. When you have a faith that recognizes that God wants to come and live in you and through you, that he wants you to die daily and be crucified in Christ and no longer live, but Christ live in you. That's the way. That's the way to abundant, abundant life. And so now look at this, uh, the beginning of John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. St. Irenaeus said this. He said, the glory of God is man fully alive. Well, that presumes something, right? That when the glory of God has been robbed, when the glory of God has been stolen, when the glory of God has been killed by an enemy that robs all of these things, man isn't fully alive. But man with Jesus Christ living inside of him is fully alive and is moving from ever-increasing glory to ever-increasing glory. Are you truly today that person who says, Jesus is doing something new in me? God is working in me. I've had change affected by God through faith in my life. Are you stagnant or are you stale? Are you walking in patterns of your own flesh this morning? And you know God wants to renew and give you a new heart. Because the heart is the seat of your soul. The heart can reach deeper than your emotions. The heart can reach deeper even than your personal will and your personal personality. It can reach down to a, a soul that can be well watered by the truth of God's word. And that soul can be convinced. And then that heart tells us, how to live. It processes, it forms that desire, and then it employs that will. But the thief, what does he do? He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now that's in the context of Jesus claiming to be the good shepherd. The good shepherd. He's saying, this is what wolves do. They, they separate out sheep from the flock, they come and they steal and they kill and they destroy. And sometimes you feel that way, don't you? Life is hard, and we can seek to fill ourselves with less than the greatness of God and become so convinced by the devil that greatness is out of reach because he comes to steal, to rob us of the glory that God intended to create and magnify in us. He comes to kill, to kill hope, to kill literally, to silence the very objects of God's love and mercy. He comes to stop as many as he can from finding eternal life so that they will die in their sins. Listen, the devil wants your heart. The devil is after your heart. The devil is working in a world that is after your heart as well. 
There is an enemy that is after this heart that God has staked a claim upon. And have you listened to that enemy? Have you allowed an invasion, a destructive thief to come and invade and kill and to destroy? Because he's destroying not only your joy and your hope, he's destroying the glory of God that could be in you. So our hearts sink and we believe that Jesus has come to offer us another world. We falsely believe that we will just have to wait for this other world until death. And so we say, well, I'm stuck now and I'll just have to wait for later. And we don't have the theology of now. We don't have the theology of hope. We only have the theology of just later. And that's a glory thief. Jesus can work in you right now. Jesus can change your heart right now by faith. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, for anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. John Eldridge says this, Here's our problem. Either we're really blowing it in our flesh, or we think God is holding out on us, or some combination of both. And that's where most of us land. We've landed in a field of lies telling us, I can't get any better, or this is just who I am, or I'll wait for better to come to me later. I'm so frustrated with myself. And what we do is we tell ourselves, well, I'll just double my effort. I'll double my interest. I'll double my time in this so that I can get better. And what really we need to do is by Jesus allow, by, by faith allow Jesus to bring us that life of abundance. Gerald May in The Awakened Heart says this, there's a desire within each of us in the deep center of ourselves that we call our heart and we're born with it. It is never completely satisfied and it never dies and we are often unaware of it, but it is always awake. Our true identity, our reason for being is found in this desire. What is Jesus saying when he says, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly? He's speaking. He's speaking in the power and the authority of Messiah. Messiah, who in Luke chapter 4 stood up and pulled out the scroll in synagogue and read aloud Isaiah 61 when he came to Nazareth. And he read from the scroll, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to pro proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Wow. Our hearts see search for answers to our deep longing. We work on filling ourselves with this word called happiness. And so what we do is we acquire and we block and we hide from hardship. I actually had somebody this week telling me he wasn't going near the prayers that I had been praying lately for God to break me because he didn't, he didn't want that hardship in his life. And we are not trusting all-sufficient and all-powerful God. Another thing that I picked up on when I was in Israel was the sufficiency of God. What I mean by that is they have the seven seeds in Israel, and it's pomegranates and dates and almonds and um, wheat and barley, um, and I'll forget something. But, but the seasons, as they change, they celebrate each season coming because then from the hand of God comes the next bit of sufficiency. And they, 
They, they, they, they, they walk through all of this, this cycle of both the rainy season and the dry season in which God continues to provide for them. There are no Sam's Clubs or Costco's in Israel. There are no giant department stores where there's great, great, great abundance. And one of the things that I came back with was this. We in America, we have a great addiction to more, but we don't have a clue what it means to be full. And the person whose heart completely belongs to God is a person who believes that God is all that he needs to belong to. It's a person who believes the statement from John 10, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, to abundance. That's what Jesus is offering to each of us. And I want you to, to know that I'm going to be sharing some of my story next week. The testimony next week is me, me and my friend Jacob. Um, and we've spent a lot of time, both of us, talking about our brokenness. And I'm going to be talking about how I started to become empty and I became dry and I started to look to myself rather than looking to God by faith to fill me. And I started to believe lies from that evil one who wants to come and steal and kill and to destroy. But what is the abundant life that Jesus is talking about? He's saying it is living in the sufficiency of God. It's living in the sufficiency of God. Can you be content with God? Is God enough for you? It is Abundant life is far beyond what we can reach for in our flesh. And abundant life is the Christ life that God lives in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. The Apostle Paul said. In Ephesians 3, he says, we can't even grasp how immeasurable is that power of God that can work in us. But faith though says, God, you can change my insides. Faith says, this has to happen to me in my heart. Do it today, God. Faith says, God, you are the great unveiler of my flesh and all of the sins and all of the lies that I believed. Give me the holy attention that I need. And so what does a heart that truly belongs to God look like, though? Well, it's a heart of a child trusting her father, Romans 8 says that we have the spirit of Abba. We cry Father in our hearts. It's the spirit of a child. It's the heart that does not belong to this world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Hey, look, if we love the world, then we don't have the love of the Father in us. It's the heart of an overcomer. 1 John 5 tells us that we have overcome with Christ. It's the heart that knows how to die. Galatians 2.20. It's the heart that is free to live the life that God wants for us. So what is God calling me to do by faith here this morning as we come to the communion and, and, and Jeremy's team can come up and begin to lead us? And thank you for your patience with the service. Um, uh, we are moving toward communion. You want to set your heart on that and set your heart on consecration. Listen, will, will you hear just these very, very strong words this morning? God wants to bring you to liberty, and he wants to bring you to freedom. I'm seeing more and more an anorexic, a spirit-starved church that is walking in its flesh and sanctifying all of that. 
and wondering why we are powerless. I'm seeing a bunch of people who constantly say, yeah, I ought to do that, and they never do it. Yeah, I ought to care about my lost friends and neighbors, but they don't ever take a step in that direction. Yeah, I probably should change the way that I'm speaking to my wife. They recognize a whole lot of truths. And, and here's the problem. You really do, in a sense, want to do that, but you have not surrendered by faith in giving yourself over to God and allowed Jesus to crucify that fleshly nature that thinks it can do it itself. Instead, you need to walk and live in the power of God. So, first of all, leave unbelief. Whatever is not of faith is sin, the Scripture says. So leave the unbelief. Turn to Jesus by faith. John Piper says this, God is the decisive cause of unhardening my heart by my acting in a real, essential part of the miracle taking place. That's it. So receive by faith the complete and sufficient riches of God. Understand that, what consecration is. That is giving God my heart by faith. And knowing that means we trust God to do all that he desires to do in our hearts. It means we don't get to keep our fleshly anchors of happiness or the false securities that we have created. It doesn't, doesn't mean that we're being reckless. The safest place to be is in the will of God. The most reckless place to be, though, is half-hearted, holding on to a form of godliness yet denying its power, Paul tells Timothy. Would you come today and simply do one thing? Would you give God your heart? And in communion here this morning, uh, there, it's a movement communion. You can go uh, forward to one of the communion tables, and there will be people to assist you. And back in our worship annex, there will be someone there to assist you with that too. If you need someone to come to you and deliver the communion to you, they will. Otherwise, we want you to make a volitional decision. We want you to arrive by faith at a conclusion. God, you can have my heart have my heart. I give you my heart. And by faith, allow God to appropriate your life and then put in your life the indwelling power of his spirit and to employ that in your life. And so actually, we have at these tables, we have these copies of hearts. So everybody gets a heart if they want one this morning, right? No chocolate, okay? But you get a heart. And maybe you can fold this into your Bible. You can take it home with you later. And the next time that you have a quiet moment with God, or men, as you lead your family, ask them all to get their hearts out and say, what do we really want happening in our hearts? Folks, maybe there's something that you've been longing for for a long time, and you're going to turn that into a prayer for your heart. Or maybe there's a confession that you want to give to God and say, God, I don't ever want to live this way anymore. I'm going to live for my heart. And the safest way to do that is by faith in Jesus and the power of his spirit working in me. Who knows? Just let it be your journal. Let it be a spiritual exercise for you. You don't have to take one, you know? There's nothing special about this piece of paper, but maybe it will help you in your journey. And so just to prepare us for the communion, I'm just gonna remind us that this is a remembrance of Christ and his sacrifice for us, his body and his blood. And to take it appropriately means to understand the gospel, which means that we understand that the only way to life with God is through Jesus and through his atoning sacrifice for us, paying the ransom to God for our sins so that God's holy wrath could be satisfied. 
And so that's exemplified in the bread and in the cup, the body and the blood of Jesus. There's nothing special about that, but there is something very special about experiencing it by faith. Something very special about meeting with God in this remembrance and receiving again the eternal truths that make your life eternally different. Would you come and give Jesus your heart this morning? And when you are ready, when you are ready, you can stand and you can, husbands, lead your wives, lead your families this morning. You can lead uh, to receive the communion. And here's just one other thing is I'm going to receive communion with my wife and then I'm just going to be here and be available to you. And if the conversation needs to keep happening with you and God and you need prayer or something like that, I'm right here for you. Just come to me. Wouldn't it be great if God looked down and saw and the hearts of First Baptist Church holy consecration this morning. Father in heaven, meet with us here. We celebrate Jesus with great worship. In Jesus' name, amen.